Welcome to episode three of Teen People. My name is Anna Soper, and I'm a British-Canadian artist, writer, and librarian in Canada. Today I give you Atia Jones, funny, outgoing, fashionista, girl about town until COVID hit in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Atia was but a girl in Brooklyn when she worked for Teen People as a trend spotter, part of a focus group made up of Teen People's own readers. She appeared in three issues of Teen People, including the one I have, where she was set up on a blind date. When I contacted her about my podcast, she replied, An interview about one of the greatest periods in my life? Absolutely! Heart smile emoji. Atia is a force of nature with a belly deep laugh and unshakable confidence. She is also the undisputed queen of one liners. I have a spiritual calling that tells me I need to go to New Mexico. Have you ever been to New Mexico? No, but I had never been to Pittsburgh and I've been here now for four years. Like I have no capital in the world of capitalism. I don't want to die on a flight to Cincinnati next to a stranger. <laughs> I rest my case and I think we have no choice but to stand. Mattia peppers her conversation with mild to moderate swears, and it just didn't feel right to bleep them out. It would have felt like erasing some part of her personality. So with that in mind, use your judgment when listening at work or in front of the impressionable. Hello. Hi. So I'm trying to start my video. Am I hearing birds in the background? Oh, probably. (laughs) those here what an amazing apartment you have oh thank you (laughs) thanks a lot it's been um it's it's an okay place to be stuck for several months oh okay (laughs) well that's that's good what more could a girl ask for it was a good it was good timing for for this apartment but yeah have you just moved in no, I moved in last June, but had really managed to avoid living in the space, if you will. Okay. Uh, and so I've I've been forced to like inhabit it and hang things and really <laughs> be in the space and make it feel like my house, which feels very good. I moved to Pittsburgh four years ago from New York and have had like a, a pretty wild ride this entire time, but this is the first living situation that is like all mine yeah and I love Uh, the plants that you have behind you which one oh this little guy all the house plants they look so happy oh thank you yeah I I try I have a lot of green in the house it like keeps my brain you know keeps my brain going yeah and they help me remember to like drink water or sometimes I'll spend like an hour watering the plants and I'm like wait a second how much water have I had (laughs) yes (laughs) Oh, right. I should probably put some of this in my own being. Uh, you know, do unto others, if you will. Uh, how are you doing right now? Um, right now, in this very moment, I'm great. I am um, quarantined by myself. Um, I'm very good. I spent some time organizing my mask making production because uh, I have that going. I saw your masks online. They're gorgeous. Thank you. I haven't even had time to really like compute and register what is going on and what I'm doing. Um, and it, you know, it, I am a visual artist and, and just an artist all around. Um, and this does 
this is taking away from time that I thought I would have to work on other creative projects. Um, and so in some ways I feel like I've put a lot of myself aside for mask making. Um, but had a very good day with it today. Uh, and, you know, I have like materials that I'm really excited to work with for this next release. So yeah, I'm good. And the sun is shining. Yeah, we don't get, we get about 12 sunny days per year in Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, I'm not kidding. You can look it up. And so I move like a cat through my house. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm so curious. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this whole project. As I, I think I told you, um, you know, I wasn't just in teen people. I like worked um, as a trend spotter for most of my high school career. Uh, I spent a lot of time there. So I'm, I'm excited to chat about that experience. And Yeah, I guess, I mean, the, the background for this project was that I was really curious to check in with as many people as I could from the magazine and just see what are they doing right now? How are they doing right now? I wanted to kind of get an idea of like a snapshot of the American experience through all these different voices because the common thread that you all have is that you were in the magazine and part of that magazine, but now it's 2020 and things are uncertain. The economy is scary. Politics is scary. Um, and there are so many issues that I think intersect with that past um, in our lives and, and who we are now as people. So um, that was that was really my main motivating factor. And then I was so excited when you emailed me back and you just had so much enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that you told me when I heard from you is that you said you had you still have a bunch of the Teen People magazines, but you don't have the one that you were in. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to be in, I was in three issues, and I have two out of those three, Okay. Um, and the only one that I don't have is the one that you have in your possession, which, like, blows my mind, <laughs> and it's something that I have thought about so much. I mean, I think I, you know, I, I mentioned this to you, I think about that date, or I have thought about that date throughout my adult life. Um, Why is that? You know, well, you know, some, some of the, I guess, you know, for the clarification for listeners, if you will, um, you know, the issue that you have, I was sent on a blind date. It was, I think there are three blind dates. And when they asked if I would do this project, um, they asked what kind of guy I wanted to go out with. And, and you know, I could tell you all sorts of things, but I wanted to go out with like a Justin Timberlake type of boy, you know, like, um, I loved NSYNC at the time. I loved, I still love pop music and, you know, that sort of like white curly haired blonde boy was just like, of course that's what I wanted. And that's not what I got. They called me like that either the morning of or a week, like it was pretty short notice. And they asked if I would have any opposition to going out with somebody who wasn't like what I asked for. And, you know, of course. Um, 
and going out with like a black teenager. I think I remember he went to poly prep. I, like it might say it in the issue. I'm going to show oh my you. God, you have it right there. I Can have I it right here. This? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. You have to send this to me. I'm oh. definitely going to send it to you. No worries. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So he went to, I think he went to poly prep. I can't remember. Um, Let's see. Yeah. Poly prep country day school in Brooklyn. I cannot believe I remember that. That's how much it stung me. <laughs> like, can you tell me what year that is? Yeah. Um, June, July, 2002. Here's who's on the cover. Wow. Star Wars. It, yep. Yeah. With the same like curly haired, blonde, white guy, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I would have taken a Hayden Christensen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it was, it was really awkward. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds going, like it on a blind date in general as a teenager is weird and it's almost like it's it's strange that that was a premise but then you know like in looking back on it now I wonder because basically they were like the guy that we set you up with is an actor and he got called out on a gig so we're gonna we have to like set you up with someone else and that's who I ended up going out with and so racially it was very jarring for me which you know looking back on is has its own mountain of issues it's like I don't want to go out with a black guy I wanted to go out with like a cool hip cute you know and 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 cute by popular culture standards yes you know and it was it's a we're we're talking 20 years ago it was different and what I was attracted to was really different And so I wonder, you know, it seemed like, I wonder if that other person actually really existed Um, or if the plan was always to set me up with a black man because they also would have been printing like a young interracial relationship. And, you know, like looking back on it, that's not a thing that is really that would have, I I don't think it would have, I don't know. I don't know if it would have worked well. It's interesting that you say that because um, there is actually a gay male couple in this feature. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe that was enough for them. Maybe that was as far as they would go. Right. I remember thinking like, you know, the, the quota has been filled. (laughs) Oh my God. You know, it's like, it's a big deal that there's a black couple in here. You know, and looking back on it, it's a big deal that there was a black couple, let alone, like, Jesus, you want me to mix the dice? Like, (laughs) and I also, I was afraid of heights. Yeah. And And, and so they said as much. They took you rock climbing. They sent us rock climbing, which is like, just, it's total like reality TV producer bullshit, right? Sounds like it. Um, And again, like looking back on this stuff, I'm like, oh yeah that had to be a ploy. Like, I think they lied to me, you know, but it was 2000, I was 16. You know, yeah. I was nervous. I think that might've been like the first official date I ever went on. You know, I'm sure that I was probably so cold and weird 
<laughs> during that day. Just so many aspects of it made me uncomfortable and, you know, being 15 and not having the words for those things. There's nothing wrong with that date. Um, we went for a fun activity. We went to dinner. You know, we had a, a nice dinner. There's nothing like, he was a very nice kid. Um, but also I've always been like a, an art weirdo. And I remember having like nothing to talk to him about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He uh, said you were pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I just was, I, I, and I know I was pissed, you know, I was pissed. I was like, you well, he was late for- too, which didn't help. Yeah, I think he had like a sports event or something. Like he was coming from like practice. Uh, um, and yeah, and he was late. Not very romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. I had a sports thing. Uh, something boy. every woman will understand. Do you want me to read you some of what this article says? Oh God, I just I'm, I'm already so embarrassed. Go for it. Are you sure? <laughs> Okay. You said rock climbing is hard. I didn't realize how painful the harness would be, but trying to look cute doing it is impossible. (laughs) I still stand by that. (laughs) (laughs) I still stand by, I wouldn't give a shit about looking cute doing it now. Much tougher. I remember, you know, being in high school I really wanted the adjectives that I never got. I really wanted to be cute. And as an adult person now, I was fighting against the hypersexualization of young black girls. Like that's what was going on. I'm like, no, I, I skipped something. Like I never, I was never a cute girl. Like boys were never like, you're cute. I went from like, no one noticing me to like men wanting to fuck me, but I never got to just be like that innocent thing. So it's like very smart. Like I got, and and, you know, again, adjectives that I don't mind now as an adult, but you know, that I really, really experienced pain over as a a teenager. So I, I think that there, there are like things that I wanted like to be cute because I'm out with a, a boy so I want to be cute, but we're doing a very uncute thing. And really it, it's like, it should have been my tenacity and my excitement for doing a thing that actually scared me. And like, those are the things that should have been deemed as attractive qualities. It was very wrapped up in other shit. In getting opportunities, especially with like teen people, anytime that I could be like printed in a magazine felt huge. And it felt huge for me, but I also understood that there are, weren't that many people of color in the magazine. It felt important to me. I I wanted to be desirable. You know, I wanted to be as cute as everyone else in the publication. You described yourself as funny, outgoing, and fashionista. Would you still describe yourself that way? A million percent. (laughs) (laughs) And definitely just, yeah. And then some. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Totally. I um, as in high, I went to high school. I went to a vo- vocational high school, um, called the High School of Fashion Industries, and I studied what was it? 
was, I was a visual merchandising major for my first year. And then that was, it became like kind of too easy for me. And I wanted, I wanted more of a challenge. So I studied draping and pattern making in high school, made clothes. It was very much so uh, a school where individuality was celebrated and everybody had on like, it was either just like fashion, fashion, or like things that we made a lot of like redoing clothes and upcycling things. And so, yes, I'm definitely still those things. (laughs) Definitely deeply influenced by that time in my life. So I was at like a, a radio event for Z100, which is like the top 40 station in New York. And my friends and I were approached by whatever scouts team people had out to like sign up to be a trend spotter. But there were trend spotters all over the country. Um, but the trend spotters in New York got extra spoiled because that's where the offices were. So basically what the trend spotters were was just like a group that they called for focus groups, essentially, and like different types of marketing ploys. So I remember like, we did one meeting for Bonnebel. Um, Bonnebel was like a drugstore shitty makeup company. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember the the person who was there, like their representative, asked us how we felt about Bonnebel products. And when they got to me, I'm curious about Bonnebel products, but I've never purchased them because I have no idea what they look like on, on Black people. And they had like some of their advertising in the space. And it was just like, there are no black people here. See, like, I don't know what this is going to look like. So I never buy this shit. And then the following month, there is a black girl and teen people in Bonneville ad. And like, I knew that I did that. Wow. You know, and that, that's empowering for 14, 15 year old. Yes. To be like, oh, I said something. And then it happened. They flew us out to, like, they flew a certain group out to Cincinnati to go to, like, a Procter & Gamble meeting. And somebody asked, like, you know, about our shower routines and things that, like, frustrate us. And it's like, I hate that I have to turn the conditioner bottle upside down and then it doesn't balance and... And then the next, like, Pantene Pro-V released that bottle with the cap on the fucking bottom. Right. I remember those. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did that. I, I personally complained about this. Right. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> I bet they didn't pay you for that idea. Um, I mean, we got to go to Cincinnati and we were gone for the weekend and, like, a trip I mean, I was on a business trip at 16. (laughs) (laughs) Did they put you up in a nice hotel? Yeah, we stayed in a hotel. We had dinner. We had like a big dinner with like the 12 of us. We did almost die in the flight. I remember that. Oh God, tell me. We didn't almost die. (laughs) But it was the scariest turbulence I've ever experienced. And I remember at some point looking at the girl next to me and being like, fuck, I really don't want to die with this person. Like, you know, it's just like some random 
I was like, I don't even fucking know her. <laughs> and I'm going to Cincinnati. Like, I don't want to die on a flight to Cincinnati next to a stranger. <laughs> oh, wow. I have a lot of strange memories from that time. I, we were very close. Like the, um, the department, like the trend spotters were kind of run by Janice Gadelli and Tristan Cooper Smith. Um, who I remained in touch with, like, I'm still in touch with these women. Um, but like there was the big blackout in 2003. Yeah. Um, and teen people was either on the 50th floor, the 51st floor, but I got off the elevator and the lights flickered. And so we just thought that the power was out. Like we were having a meeting. And so we like kind of started our meeting and about an hour into it, everybody was like, the news started to kind of get around the building because again, this is like pre Twitter, pre like internet in your pocket at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, at some point we realized, Oh, the, the entire city is out of power. Like even experiencing this now, I feel like there are so many things in my life where I can, you know, the, where were you when this happened? There are too many of those things now. And we eventually like, spiraled down 51 flights of uh, 51 floors down the building. And uh, I didn't know how to get home without the subways working. Right. You know, I, I live in, or I lived in Brooklyn. I ended up staying with Janice and we had like a slumber party. I think, I think one other, Oh no, it was Tristan. So it was me and Tristan and Janice stayed at her apartment on like, somewhere above Central Park. I think she lived on like 84th. And so we walked up Central Park together. But it was, I mean, it was a family. You know, it was like our little, because there were like 10 of us that we'd see all the time. Um, you know, like Idris and my friend Nicolette and um, other, oh, what was that cutie's name? I'd have to find him. But yeah, there, I mean, there are a couple of folks that I keep in touch with. There's so many like cute boys and they were all gay. It sucked. (laughs) (laughs) All of the cute trend spotters, all the cute male trend spotters were gay. (laughs) I like went to a high school that only had gay boys because I mean, you know, it was a fashion based at that time. Mm -hmm. There weren't too many straight boys trying to get in. So there were never any boys, <laughs> which is also why I was really excited to go on this blind date because I right. just never got to be around boys. That time for young media was really incredible. There's so much garbage being pumped in our faces, you know, between <laughs> like, uh, like there was like a Cosmo, Cosmo girl, 17, yeah. teen people and YM. I had subscriptions to all four. So there's just so much how to be information being distributed to us, which, you know, we still have. So, you know, if I wasn't doing squats to get a Kardashian ass, I'd be lying. (laughs) (laughs) Am I after the, you know, I'm after it forever. So I've always had a very wandering spirit. And I think a lot about, why I end up in some of the places and situations that I end up in. Um, 
and a lot of them are based in the trickle-down effects of racism and redlining and segregation and the separations of people, right? You know, thinking about spaces that I feel comfortable in. Um, I was going through photos today from like the last 13 years of my friendship with my best friend, this is her birthday, and um, looking at all of the bars that we've been to and how many like bumfuck white bars in small towns that I have been to that feel fine to me. The amount of like white spaces that feel normal to me and where that feeling or, or where that comfort comes from, you know? And, and a part of that is because I went to schools where my friend groups were predominantly white for elementary and junior high school. They were pretty well mixed schools, but I was in advanced classes. And so I was often the only black kid in the class. I can name like, you know, five or six boys. And then there was Jessica, but I think Jessica was only in the gifted classes up until like fourth grade, you know, like these, the few people that were there are still ingrained in my memories, you know, Mm. because they were rare. Yeah. Um, And how many black teachers did you have? I've never had a black teacher. Until well, no, in high school I had black teachers, but in elementary and junior high school I didn't have black teachers. I've equated whiteness with safety because of those things. Um, because I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, and where particularly where I was from and like my block is pretty rough, you know. Like I think you know, it, it wasn't the best. Yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't a great fucking place to grow up. And so when I got to escape Blackness, I also was, I also found certain, a certain sense of safety. As I got older, that shifted, right? Like that, that's shifted a lot. And I have to examine why those feelings were to begin with. There's the the idea that gentrification um, by way of capitalism and this constant push of marginalized peoples out of their territory, this is also like, it's pervasive. Like gentrification doesn't just show up one day. It's a small action and a small action and a small action and a small action and then suddenly things are different. My work, all of it is uh, an accumulation of small actions that become much, much bigger and can really take over if you're not, if you don't express any limitations. Like if a person commissions me to do a thing and tells me I can do whatever I want, I'm going to cover the entire room. (laughs) I'm going to put myself everywhere and anywhere I want to. I just show up. I just show up and I slowly take over things. And so there's like this weird entanglement between myself, the work, how I feel about gentrification, 
you know, I'm also a, a millennial with some level of expendable income. I'm still so low on the totem pole, if you will, the, the capitalist totem pole. You know, I'm a, I'm a black queer artist. Grew up like I have nothing. Mm. In, no in capital. Working, you know, in that world, I have yeah. no, no capital in the world of capitalism. Um, but then there's also something I, I enjoy is exploring having the power to give value to things. Like, because I've decided that I'm going to go be an artist. I've decided that if I draw on a thing, it matters. That's insane. That's like, that's fucking insane. <laughs> and it's, it's a thing that's been done since the dawn of time. I decided to make a mess on a thing. And I told you that it was worth something. And based on you believing that, and then me doing it again and again and again and again, all I'm doing is making, I'm making this more real. Mm, it's a practice. You know, it's capitalism is practice. So there's a lot about what you just said that's fascinating to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a few things down because I wanted to remember them. Um, you said, when I got to escape blackness, tell me about yeah, what escaping blackness feels like. Um, yeah, I knew that was going to get me in trouble. Like it came out of my mouth and I was like, Ooh, um, <laughs> I'm just using the phrase loosely. And it's a, I realize that it's a dangerous thing to make generalizations about blackness to white people. Um, and so I think in, in the context of that phrasing, escaping my my environment um and it wasn't just about like escaping the people but escaping the culture of my environment at the time and unfortunately and this is why I feel like you know I've misspoken saying escaping blackness because that's not what it is is escaping I escaped a lot in music it it took me it took me a long time to get into like various types of rap and hip hop and because I felt like a lot of the storytelling was exactly what I was already seeing in my life and I really liked I mean I've always really liked pop music in all forms and you know, some of that was like angsty pop music. And, you know, at that point, Nirvana was pop music, you know, and, and it still like is, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it had, it had already made that shift. Uh, and so I, I escaped in, the, I escaped through music a lot. Um, my school was in Manhattan. Um, 
I'd get out of school and just like wander around the city all evening. And so I, I just was escaping that version of my life. Um, and also, you know, it was, it, my understanding of blackness changed a lot, you know, where I, I'm so grateful for, I, I think somewhat significant changes that have happened in media. You know, there are so many things that I didn't even know I needed until they arrived, you know, and one of those things is like blackish. Blackish is phenomenal. I didn't know I needed that. I didn't know that I needed an all, you know, so many different types of like all black casting moments. Like I went to see Black Panther and on the, in the car ride home with my boyfriend, I like cried the end. I was hysterical the entire car ride home because I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that it hadn't happened before. You know, where like, we've lived in a world, like, how has this not been a thing? <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. But the other part, the- sorry, the other part of that was that you didn't know that you needed to see representation, but you also told me that you actually made space for representation because you told those executives, I want to see a girl who looks like me in your next ad. And they did. Yeah. I mean, that's like, yeah, that's, that's one of those actions that you don't know what you're doing when you're doing it. So I didn't feel like I was making some outright standing up for my people moment. I was just like, well, I don't, I don't have the answer for you, sir. <laughs> Never seen it, you know? And in doing that, you changed something for them. Yeah. Changed something for someone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope it changed something for other people too. Um, The other thing that kind of stuck out for me a few minutes back was you were talking about your artistic practice and you were talking about how you see yourself inhabiting a space and making something as as evidence of your practice? I really struggle with defining my practice. And honestly, like I don't feel the need to most of the time because what I am also realizing is like, a lot of it is just about me. I found that a lot of the time people who approach me about work want to work with me. I can make anything. I think my, my practice is my medium, but I also sometimes just feel like the medium. I really love collaborating um, and I love making site-specific work. And there, there's something really beautiful about people wanting to work with me and then making a project based on that desire. You know, like often it's just like, what can we do together? You described your practice as soft, tense, mobile, and still. How do you move between contradictions in your work? Because that's, that's who I am. All of those words? I'm all of those things. I'm I'm only ever talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad thing. (laughs) 
the world hates a confident person. And then it's just narcissism and egotism. And it's a, that's the real job, right? It's like, it's not how you work between contradictions. It's how you work between being perceptions, bold and being a bitch. Like that's uh, (laughs) the, yeah. Everybody's a walking contradiction. That's, that's, that's the world. Mm. I want to be safe, but I want to go back to work. Sorry, what? (laughs) When you were 15, your career goal was to be a fashion designer. How do you feel about where your career has developed since then? I feel great. I've been fortunate enough to, to tap into aspects of creativity that I never, that I've never even imagined that I didn't imagine for myself. Actually, no, I take that back. (laughs) They are things that I imagined for myself. Uh, that I just didn't necessarily think could be real. Anna, I will tell you this. Mother's Day just passed, and, and I thought about this a lot. The greatest gift my mom ever gave me is was the gift of not exposing me to limitations. There's never been a thing that I wanted to be that seemed out of reach for me. Things might be postponed. I might not get to it until later. But I get to all the things. I get to the things. I mean, I have to do it. I have to, I have to do these things. They will drive me fucking insane. <laughs> um, and I, I left the other day I posted, um, I was posting about mask making. And I closed, I ended the post by saying, like, I've always wanted to be, I always wanted to be an accessory designer. Because I did, especially when I was like 16 or 17. I was really obsessed with Bonnie Cashin, who was the head designer for Coach when Coach became Coach. Because she had made the, like some of the signature Coach shapes. She was designing for her own line and then moved on to Coach. And she really like nailed things down for them. So I was obsessed with Bonnie Cashin. I really wanted to design accessories. And I've been in my house, you know, for the last six weeks really focused on making masks and I'm not just making masks. I'm designing masks, you know, like I'm buying specific, specific collections of fabric so that I can design a cohesive collection Mm. of masks. I can't do a thing for the sake of doing it. Like if I'm going to do it, if I'm putting my name on it, it has to be the best thing I can be making. I'm not going to say that it's the best thing that exists, but it's the best (laughs) thing I can do. And so I don't, I honor 15-year-old me all the fucking time. I don't know. I think the life of an artist, being an artist is really scary. Yeah. I never know where money's coming from, you know, but I keep, I continue to believe in, in what I do and the people that I connect myself with. Mm. Um, and wanting to just really, I want to make beautiful things and I want to make things beautiful. Mm. What would you tell your 15 year old self now? What should she know? You're smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, (laughs) 
I don't know. I have so many things. Like the first thing that I'm just like, you should have been nicer to your girlfriend. You're doing great. All things will end well, or they will just end. Um, I was really like, I was such a depressive kid. I would, I, God, you know what? I might just tell that bitch that she's really cute. <laughs> I was really cute. I was, I was cute. I was so cute. And I, I might just, I might just tell her that she's cute. I think that's what I really wanted. This has not been a tragic experience for me. Even that's been like a weird thing to cope with. Where I'm like, what do you do when terrible things are happening everywhere and your life isn't that bad? Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to like acknowledge the uh, points of privilege that one has. For some of us, those points are greater. You know, mine are few, but I really covet them. And then, you know, continuing to try to use those points of privilege to give access to other folks. And, you know, that I struggle with that all the time because I'm just like, I'm still poor. Like, I'm still poor. <laughs> I'm still not in a position where I, you know, can give as much as I would like to. But, um, but I do, you know, good things are happening for me and good things happen in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am very aware of that and very grateful for that because this could be going much, much worse, at least. Like, I know that some bad shit's happening outside, mm-hmm. but, like, I've made, a, I've made some good choices, and some of those good choices have led me to this seat. And so I don't waste time wondering why I'm sitting at the table. I just figure out what the fuck I'm going to do while we're at dinner. Those are my rules. Because you spend a, I've, I spend a lot of time wondering, like, how did I get here? Why am I invited to this? Why am I this person? You know, like, why am I here? And that's such a waste of time. It's a waste of time to be like, why? Oh, my God, what am I doing here? Oh, my, I don't deserve to be imposter syndrome. It's fucking bullshit. Get over it. You were there because somebody invited you. Now, what are you going to do while you're in the room? Yes. Where do you see yourself going from here? Where do you want to be in a few years time? You know, I would, I would be lying to you if I felt like I knew. I've reached a point where I definitely don't want to work for anybody anymore. Um, not, not in the capacities in which I have in the past. Um, I have a spiritual calling that tells me I need to go to New Mexico. I don't know what's happening down there, but I got to get there. Um, have you ever been? What's that? Have you ever been to New Mexico? No, but I had never been to Pittsburgh and I've been here now for four years. So um, something is calling me there. But I don't know. I just, the only, the things that I want for myself are um, personal liberation and financial security and putting those two things together for me, 
again, you know, for, for the black woman is such a goddamn challenge. It is the most like walking uphill during a mudslide shit you will ever learn in your life, but I have to do it. So, and I, you know, that, that is my lifelong pursuit. How can I be free and financially stable? Um, and that's all I want for myself. And then, you know, good dinner. I made a really nice list and I think maybe perhaps you would want to do the same. Maybe other people would want to do the same, but I made a list for myself of that. Like, that's just like, who am I? Like, I can't define myself, but I do like making that sort of list of things that I like about myself, things that I know are just true. And now's a very good time to do those things. You know, it's, it's funny to think like, you know, for you to ask, where do I want to be in five years? I'm like, where the fuck can I be in five years? So I don't have a license and I moved out here and I'm like learning how to drive, but then the pandemic happened and now I can't continue that effort. Oh no. But there is a part of me that's like, what's the point? Mm. If I learn how to drive, I will just want to be in my car all the time. And that's super fucking dangerous. So. Well, being in your house can be dangerous too. Are you kidding me? I don't use a flashlight in my house. And people thought I was fucking crazy. I'm like, no, no, no. Do you like, do you see this? Mm. <laughs> this just happened again because mm-hmm. this is not the first time this has happened. Yeah. This has happened before. And not only is she dead, but her boyfriend is arrested for shooting at the cops because he thought they were breaking into his house because they didn't announce themselves. Um, but there's nowhere to safe, right? So that, you know, there, you know, there's always that in my back pocket, um, which is why I have to walk around, uh, being a hyper-confident asshole because literally the world (laughs) is trying to kill me at all times. So, um, (laughs) I have to be like this. Um, and sometimes it has to change. So we'll see, we'll see what happens here. Do you think it'll change? Depends on the it, you know, do I think what'll change? I don't, uh, I don't believe in white America very much right now. That's where a lot of this problem, where a lot of the problem is really (laughs) embodied. Um, And I also don't have a way to really prove my bodily worth because that's not a thing I should have to do or anyone should have to do. And so I I go back and forth between paying attention to what is happening in the world and then really just being in my own universe. Because if I listened to what the world was telling me, I'd be in big fucking trouble. So I kind of have to stay in my own lane and just be like, what do I want to do? You know, if I only explored what I could do, I might not have accomplished anything, but what do I want to do? What do I want to do today? That's my, that's, that's my, that's me every day. It's like, what do I want to do today? So hopefully uh, in, in five years from now and five months from now, I'll just be doing whatever, whatever it is I want to do. That's my goal. I want to keep myself happy. I'm doing me right now and it feels pretty nice, but at some point I have to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. At some point the world will open. Hmm. But I'll be ready. I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Anna, it has been a pleasure. Thank you. Really happy that we got to talk. Likewise. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Atia and I spoke in May, before the death of George Floyd. Her question, where can I be in five years, revealed a level of nuance that I hadn't considered. I assumed she could be somewhere, anywhere, in five years, like it was a given. But George Floyd can't, nor can Breonna Taylor. A persistent chorus of birdsong punctuates my recording, taking on new significance since, the day of Floyd's death, a white dog walker falsely accused a black birder of threatening her life in Central Park. At one point in our conversation, I told Atia that I have always felt relief at coming home to Canada. After a short pause, she replied, Imagine feeling no relief anywhere. With great precision, she unpacked my privilege as a white settler in Canada, and it is a moment that reveals the emotional labor which has risen to the surface in America and around the world in recent weeks. In the past few weeks, multiple Black and Indigenous Canadians have died or been harmed in police-involved incidents. In light of ongoing events, I have left links to organizations supporting the Black Lives Matter movement in Canada and the U.S. You can find those links in the notes for this episode. Until next time, I'm Anna Soper. Stay well. <laughs>